Okay, Pastor Angel, good morning. It's all to you. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Palm Sunday at Mosaic Digital, I guess we could call it. I'm glad to have you here. Glad that um, we can be together in this format and, uh, and share this special day in um, our faith together. So um, let's just greet the Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, who cares for us so gently and lovingly, we bless you today. We thank you, Lord, that this is the day that you have made, and we choose, Father, to rejoice and be glad in it. We exalt you because you are God, and there is none other like you. We humble ourselves before you and enjoy your presence. So, Father, help us as we take a deep breath and relax into our worship with you to enjoy your sweet presence. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in each of our homes to have your way, to speak to our hearts, to transform and make us new. Bless Keith, we thank you for joining us again. And thank you for the Richardsons who, great, who graciously assist us in, uh, in doing this week after week. Be glorified, Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. So as I said before, we have Keith Wilburn with us today um, to share in worship, and his daughter's actually going to come and sing with him, so that's exciting. I knew Sarah since she was a baby in arms, and her name at that point when I met her was Emily, but they came, <laughs> <laughs> and she's Sarah. Um, so be blessed. Keith, enjoy yourself in the Lord. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Angel. <clears throat> Good morning, Mosaic. It is... A uh, wonderful privilege to be with you here uh, this morning to be joining you again. Uh, as I said last time, I would much rather be present with you, seeing all your beautiful faces. But um, this is uh, this is good too, uh, and I'm especially excited to be with you on Palm Sunday, uh, where we uh, just celebrate Christ uh, in His victory, uh, His victory over death, over sin. Uh, over all evil in the world. So it is truly a joyous day, and it truly gives me hope, even in the situation we're in, knowing uh, the power, the victory uh, that our loving Savior has. And so if you'll join me, this is a new song for me. Thank you for introducing it to me, but I love playing it and uh, excited to lead you in it. Uh, Hosanna, praise is rising. Hosanna, 
We rejoice this day in your goodness, in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, in your victory, the victory that you have won for us, so that no matter what mistakes we make, no matter what our struggles, no matter what our situation, we know, we know, we know that you have victory and that we can be with you in perfect love, in perfect peace, in perfect joy, perfect provision for eternity. And so, Jesus, we give you all glory and honor and praise this day. I pray that you would give hope to those of us who are discouraged. I pray you would give strength to those of us who are feeling weak. I pray that you would give power and might, Lord God, for every situation that we are struggling with. We thank you that you are not just above looking down, but that you came down and you are present with us and you are walking with us through this season, through all situations. We rejoice, we give you praise in your name. Amen, amen. So church, I wanna introduce my daughter uh, to you. Sarah, she's 13, gonna turn 14 next month. And as Pastor Angel said, uh, she was Emily for all of 24 hours <laughs> when uh, she was first born. But uh, Sarah has been her name ever since. And uh, I'm just thrilled that uh, she said yes to waking up. This is early for her and uh, worshiping with us. So this song that 
we are going to do. Uh, <clears throat> hopefully you know it, but if not, I think you'll catch on pretty quickly. But it's this beautiful song, Canvas and Clay. And the chorus is, uh, you make all things work together. And sometimes, church, it can feel like we're in situations where it feels hopeless or we feel like, where is God in the midst of this situation? Uh, what is God even doing here? And the promise of scripture and the promise that's affirmed in this song is that God is with us. He has a plan for us and he does make all things work together. He doesn't necessarily cause the situations we're in, but when we're in them, he can use them to strengthen us, to encourage us, to lead us to where he desires us to be. So I hope that you take a great encouragement uh, out of this beautiful song today.
for our lives and that in walking with you we can trust that you will lead us to those places no matter what our surrounding looks like no matter what our situation looks like we can trust in you that you will make a way you will show us a way that you will lead us to better for our lives in your name we pray amen amen um so Robbie came in and made me a little self-conscious. He said my head was huge on the screen. Is my head huge on the screen? <laughs> Just make me feel better, everybody. Just go, no, no. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, um, I'm having like Groundhog Day moments. How about you guys? It just feels like I wake up and do it again and um, trying to... Uh, to see the difference and talk to people and everything is just it, it's there are times when it's hard and that's normal and it's okay and we gotta I don't know pick up the phone or take it with us for a walk and take a walk with other people 
Um, and, and make sure we have breaks together. Um, we're entering a tough period. And I know that your heart is like mine. We are praying for families, praying for our friends uh, to be safe. For those who are ill, we remember them in prayer. Um, man, and just seek God's face to bring comfort and peace uh, to those who are away from their families at this time. Um, it's, a, it's a tough thing. And there are times we need to acknowledge that. I, I always want to preach hope, but I, I never want to shy away from the realities of what we're going through. God doesn't shy away from it, so we shouldn't either, right? So I'm going to ask you all some questions sometimes during the course of this thing. If I'm trying to figure out how to make it a little more interactive. I'm not going to be good at it today, but that's okay. But if you're close enough that you can make a comment or something, feel free and enjoy if you're on your phones or on Facebook. Welcome my Facebook friends. Um, feel free to shoot up an emoji. We um, changed the way we're doing this this morning to protect uh, the, uh, our, our congregation and our kids. Um, people have been attacked through their Zoom locations when they've been put out publicly and they're making all kinds of comments or um, bringing inappropriate material onto, uh, onto the screen in the comments or chat section. So we were trying to uh, create a way for people to come in so it's safe. Um, each week you will receive a new link uh, from us um, in your newsletter. So just look for that. Please share it with trusted others. Um, and then we were going to live broadcast on Facebook. So we'll be in these two places for everyone. So no worries. I know it was an adjustment today and I thank you for making that. So today is Palm Sunday and we're in our houses. So instead of being able to uh, proclaim Hosanna, Hosanna and dance around the church and march around and outside, today we get to do it from inside. So can you join me? And I say Hosanna, you say Hosanna. Hosanna! 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 Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Thank you. Andrew, let me hear people so I wouldn't be talking to myself. I appreciate that. <laughs> so just a, a brief sermon today on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You know, some people compared Jesus to uh, Roman victors as they entered into their city uh, in triumph. Others called Jesus a royal king, and while still others called him a meek king. And yet, no matter what they called him, he was their Jesus. And on that day in Jerusalem, everyone knew it. Let's read uh, about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem from Matthew 21. Uh, verses 1 through 11 from the Living Translation, New Living Translation. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he'll immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. 
the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and Jesus sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is this? It's Jesus. We asked that question today and we need to have answers for it as, as we um, think about it. what was so significant about this man entering the city at this time. As we examine this today, I want to look at uh, three different perspectives on Jesus's entry. Um, there are different lenses that you can examine this on. I like history, so um, I hope I, I don't want to bore you, but I want to, you know, just explore a little bit about how we look at, um, at this, this scene that was taking place, because the eyes of the people may have had these views in mind. The first is a Greco-Roman lens that we can use. And then we'll look at the lens of uh, historicity, meaning we'll look at the events and, and ask, are they actually a part of history? Did this really happen? And then we'll look lastly through a theological lens. But first, I want to start off with Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem um, significant? It's the capital of the ancient Israel. Both the holy city, for it held the temple, and um, it's the place where the government was established. King Solomon erected the temple. Um, David was not allowed to build, but God allowed him to gather all the resources, and Solomon built the temple. And <clears throat> so it was both a, the national center and the holiest place in all of Israel. Um, for the people of Jesus' time, it was considered the heart of their nation, and they expected, this was the place they expected their uh, Messiah to rise up. Now, from the Greco-Roman lens, um, their history is laced with entry stories, right? Celebrations of heroic figures who achieved great victories, military victories, and how they would process into, um, into the city uh, to celebrate this this victory. They were called the Roman triumph. This, this ceremony was called. And it, was, it was both a religious ceremony and it was a civil ceremony. It was a public celebration and a sanctification of the military hero's victory. And that's, that's interesting because sanctification is a word that we use. It becomes a church word, but it wasn't a church word at first. It simply means to set this person apart as someone special within their midst who had done something really great. Um, on the day of the triumph, the military leader wore a crown of laurels on his head and usually had on a purple toga embroidered with gold lacing that signified that individual, his near God-likeness and his near king-likeness. It was raising him up to a status above all others 
um, he was taken to, through the streets in a, in a chariot with an unarmed uh, group of soldiers with him. Um, and they also brought in their captives and any spoils of war. And then he was processed to uh, the Greek temple where he offered sacrifices to Jupiter. Um, he was required by the moral code of uh, the Roman culture to maintain an attitude of humility, even in the midst of all of this praise um, and all in some ways, all this worship, um, because he was supposed to view his victory as something that he had done on behalf of the state and its people and their gods. And that in some ways, the, the strength to do this came from all of that and all of them. There's a New Testament scholar named David um, Catchpole. Um, he worked over in England at Sherham College and at Exeter University. Um, he looked for similarities in the accounts written about Solomon's anointing as king and his ride upon David's mule uh, with accounts of the likes of, of Alexander the Great or, and Judith Maccabee and, and Antigonus and Marcus Agrippa. These are, are some of the Roman leaders who had had these triumphant uh, ceremonies and Jewish leaders who experienced the same. Um, so he was looking for similarities in what happened with them uh, during their celebrations. And according to Catchpole, in his paper entitled The Triumphal Entrance, each account includes the following things. Victory had already been achieved. So it was after the fact that this ceremony happened. Again, it was a formal ceremony and it, was an, uh, it entailed this entry and this introduction. Uh, there were greetings and acclamations together with invocations of God, of God and asking God's presence to be there. Um, whoever their God was that they served. The entry of this city was always followed by an entry into the temple. When he called, uh, uh, he called it the, some of these things cultic activity, the offering of sacrifices, and um, there was even a part where there was someone that was uh, objectionable, someone who did not uh, uh, follow the, the creeds and the, the thought of of those who worshiped in the temple, they were, they were um, expelled from the temple and it was cleaned. And Catchpole um, said that all of these things, when we look at the, the uh, Gospel of Mark in the 11th chapter, he said all of these things took place um, in each of theirs. There's all these similarities. So you ask, why is this significant, Angel? Um, this is the type of situation the type of celebration that took place, a victory for, for it to happen, a victory had to already be secured. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is not an announcement that he was taking over Israel as so many people had hoped. Some wanted this to serve as the sign of the impending victory that Jesus would somehow um, get together and cause an uprising and the people would throw off the Roman rule that he would begin to fight for their freedom from Roman rule. 
Jesus was not announcing a battle or a war effort toward that goal. No, Jesus's entry was a celebration of the victory he'd already obtained. He was not looking to become king. He was already king. He was not looking to exalt his authority over the Romans. He was already over the Romans. So this was not something that he was seeking. It was something that he was fulfilling. He had completed the mission that God had given him, and he was entering into the city in celebration, so much like those Roman uh, men and uh, military people who came in and celebrated, and the crowds roared for them and celebrated and hailed them. He received the praise and the exaltation of the community. And it was so much so, it was understandable that the Jews, you know, honored him. But they said that it was such, it caused such a stir that all other peoples were asking, who is he? Who is he? And they had declared that it's Jesus. Now, wisdom told them not to say He's the king, but he said he's the prophet from Nazareth. But it's our Jesus who's coming today and received our welcome and our acknowledgement in this way. Now, when we look through the lens of historicity, nice big fat word, right? Again, it means, did this actually take place, right? The accounts of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem found in the Gospels have differences all in, in, in each of the stories and and there's, the styles of the writings are different. Um, this can cause some of us to question whether or not the story is even true. You know, did the triumphal entry actually happen? Did it take place like the scripture says it did? The scholars have examined uh, this text for its uh, uh, historicity. And they sought when they did to, to look at two questions. The first, did Jesus, the first was this issue. Jesus did not want himself outed as Messiah through most of his ministry, right? So if he didn't want himself outed before, why suddenly is there something new now that he would allow people to say he's the Messiah, he's the king? So these individuals who asked that question, they answered the question with, if he didn't want them to know in the past, then it makes sense that he didn't want them to know now. And therefore, in their minds, this isn't true. It's not an accurate account. The other issue has to do with Rome. Rome didn't tolerate in any way, shape, or form any uprising, especially any uprising that challenged the authority of Rome, right? Rome responded quickly to uprisings by just knocking it down, okay? They put down um, any kind of uh, thing that would stir that kind of thought because they wanted to keep the cities secure, they wanted to keep the peace, and they wanted to keep their reign. So these individuals who are, who are looking at this issue, they say, now since Rome didn't respond to put down the celebration of Jesus when he was entering the city, it means for them this account isn't true. Now, there was a scholar named uh, Kinman, Brent Kinman, in his book, Jesus' Royal Entry in Jerusalem. Um, he thought these two issues that I shared uh, weren't enough to discount or disqualify the authenticity of this event. He found it was more probable that it happened. How come? 
We have multiple stories of the event found in very, the various gospels. And the core of these stories remain the same. Um, and the relationship with, of this story to the Passion Week and the events that took place makes sense. For him, uh, his entry and uh, many of the deeds that he did also reflect on the teachings and writings of the Old Testament. So for him, there was a, a, a cohesion in the narrative. And for him, it stated or made him feel as though this was something that probably did happen. There are other scholars who use this thing they call memory. Um, and they've come to similar conclusions as Kinman. They believe that the stories reflect the memory of the disciples based on, again, the local details that were included in their accounts that these were specific memories from these individuals writing or memories of the people that they had heard the stories from. Um, the, um, they looked at the acclamation of Jesus, that, that, that the way they praised him was based on their oral traditions, the saying of Hosea, the, the acknowledgement, the, the laying the reef down that they were similar to, again, um, King Solomon's entry and what happened just for them in not so distant uh, history with Judas Maccabee. And along with uh, the memory, the mark of memory used in, 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 again, some of the Old Testament verses that were examined. What's significant about this, and here's my take on it, as a student of the word who continues to learn, I continue to seek understanding. So when I look at this scripture, the scripture speaks of Jesus telling people um, he healed that he didn't want them to reveal who he was. So it's true that Jesus for a time and a season said, no, don't tell anybody. Um, that leads us to a, a natural conclusion. Does that lead us to the natural conclusion that Jesus would never want anybody to know? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. One does not naturally equate to the other. In John 4, in John 2, 4, when um, his mother Mary approached him about the wine at the wedding, Jesus' response to her was this, and Jesus said to her, woman, what has this to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, can I tell y'all something, honestly? I always thought that that was such a rude remark he made to his mother. So I'm just like, I'm like I didn't know, you know, contextually, but just reading it just as a, as a plain reading, you look at that and you're like, tighten up, Jesus. Um, but in the context, um, she was asking him to do something about the wine. And he was saying to her, mom, chill. My time isn't here. It's not time for me to reveal myself to the world. You know it. I know it. But we got to keep it on the DL. We got to keep it on the DL. So we have five times recorded in the Gospel of John that Jesus said, my hour or time has not come. And then after chapter 12 in the Gospel of John, he says three times, my hour has come. My hour is here. So I have to ask a question um, to those who are positioning that this didn't happen. My first question is, do you really think that Jesus existed? Um, there's no archaeological evidence of Jesus. You know, I know we say we have like, people have talked about the Shroud of Turan and, and these other things that um, that mythically speak of Jesus. But in terms of actually having something that belonged to him, we don't. Jesus was a poor man. And, um, and 
truth, poor men rarely have relics saved about their lives. In truth, poor individuals, there are no statues. There, there are no individual things that talk about how great they were. So we don't have that. But what we have are ancient writings that include Jesus' story. And not just the writings of the Gospels. Josephus, who was a first century historian, he's noted as a, as a prime source for information on first century Palestine. He was born a few years after Jesus' uh, crucifixion. He was not a follower of Jesus, so he had no, nothing in the game, no skin in the game. Um, he spoke of, in his writings, um, he was a witness to the formation of the early church. And he spoke of the execution of James in his 20-volume uh, set of, uh, his work was called Jewish Antiquities. And he spoke of Jesus also. Um, the Roman governor, Pliny, the younger, wrote to Emperor Trajan of how the early Christians sing hymns to Christ as if singing to God. And so we have these, men, these mentions of Jesus's brother. We have these mentions of Christ himself from someone who is outside of the followers, outside of, uh, of what they call then the cult of Jesus. And so he, he was not uh, trying to validate his existence. He was just acknowledging his existence. Tassius, who was a Roman uh, historian, wrote, a, wrote about how Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome, um, citing that the founder, Christus, who was Jesus, uh, who was put to death by Pontius Pilate. These were the words he used in his writings uh, when he was talking about how these followers of Jesus had, had um, burnt Rome. Um, these accounts of his history and that of his brother and his followers make me conclude that yes, Jesus was real. And when I consider the biblical account of his birth being revealed to few, right? You had the shepherds in the field, Mary and Joseph then, Elizabeth, Zach, um, Zacharias, who was um, John's father. He was silent, but he knew. Uh, so these, these accounts uh, were few, but he was still real. He lived his life quietly well until his adulthood. And so it makes sense that there was a season when he didn't want anyone to know who he was widely. And reason and faith have led me to believe that um, Josephus wrote, oh, I'm sorry. And reason and faith led uh, him to believe that this man, Josephus wrote, did surprising deeds. Listen to this. Josephus wrote in his account of Jesus that he did surprising deeds, which were the miracles he performed. And they concluded, for me, it makes me conclude there was a time, again, that he was not revealed, but there was a time when he was. And there is historical account that he existed and that miracles followed him. So if he's real, these events could have actually happened. If he's real and there are these historical accounts of his engagement with his community, 
that he did these miraculous deeds. If he is real, and there are these accounts that his followers created a church, a movement, and this movement so disturbed the world that they were fed to lions and all kinds of horrible things happened to their prophets, their teachers because of the name of Jesus. It is not beyond reason that the season of being quiet ended and there was a season that he would be made known and that when that season came, it would be something worth celebrating because the whole of of creation was waiting for the revelation of Jesus. And on that Sunday, when he entered Jerusalem, he was coming home, who they had waited for was coming. And they had been so excited to declare. Sometimes we get moved by the spirit and we do things and say things and we don't know that God wants to use us. We don't know God is using us in the moment to speak a word of truth to somebody until we see the light in their eye and they go, oh my God, I was just praying about that. Oh my God, I was just saying that. And so these people are having a moment and the spirit of God is there and it is alive and they declare, Hosanna, God has come. We've been waiting for you. Bless you. Bless you. Hosanna in the highest. Now, the third lens is a theological lens. Now, theology, its, it's simple definition is faith looking for understanding, right? I want to understand God. My favorite scripture as a young Christian was, in all you're getting, get understanding. And it has shaped my Christian experience. I studied the scripture from that day forward after I encountered that in the Psalms. Um, because if God told me to study, it meant God was going to tell me some stuff and share some things with me. And so we want to use our faith to seek understanding. So we discuss this, this lens, this theological lens. Now, John's gospel in particular depicts Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as the arrival of a king into his kingdom. This event is a game changer. The king is at last home in the city of God, depicted as the seat of his power, where his throne would rest, and his arrival had significance for Israel as a nation and for the world. He is and was the embodiment of the promise God gave to Abraham that through him the entire world would be blessed. It was the fulfillment of the promise to David that of his kingdom and throne there would be no end. And ultimately, it was this entry served as, as, as being on the precipice of fulfilling the word spoken to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.15, we read, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And it seems that this entry, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he, it was required that he be accepted as their king, that he be accepted as the anointed one, the Messiah who would come. And so the cry of Hosanna, Hosanna rang out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It was required, and there was joy for all on that day. Because Jesus 
was in Jerusalem where he belonged. And nothing was going to stop that celebration. This is the one who was promised. Can you imagine how much joy? Oh, how much joy they felt. For even when the Pharisees tried to, to, to stop them, to tell Jesus, you know, to rebuke the crowd, stop them from saying these things because they were afraid of, uh, that, that it would be viewed as an insurrection and the Romans would come. Jesus' response to them was, if these people don't cry out right now, the rocks will. The world, the universe, all of creation, it waited for this moment. To look at this from a theological perspective, we have to acknowledge the way he was embraced when he entered Jerusalem. It was his rightful place. We have to look at the things the king did during the week when he was there. He cried over Jerusalem. He wanted them to know peace, but he saw what was coming and knew there wouldn't be. And he grieved for these people as a king who cared and would love and would love his people would do. He drove those whose actions clouded the truth about the temple. He drove them out of the temple. They would make it a place of greed and a place to fulfill their lust, and he would not allow them to make what he said, his father's house, a den of thieves. He wanted the temple to be holy, set apart for the relationship that God intended for humanity to have with God's self. He taught the people many parables during that time. He taught them about their God and God's expectation of how they could live life together and treat one another. He accepted the widow's offering, that widow's might, and shared with the importance of giving from your heart what you have. And it reminded me of what happened in Bethany when he said of, of Mary's offering of the alabaster, of the perfume in the alabaster box, she gave what she could. And this widow, again, gave what she could to remind us that God is looking for us to give what we can to offer from the depth of our heart to him. And he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He did kingly things. He did all this and more as the King of Jerusalem, the Lord of glory, the Son of Almighty God. So what's the theological significance? All the celebration of love and care for his people were a result of entering the holy city as its king. He was welcomed. He did this in celebration with the shadow of the cross over him. The crowd was responding to, in their minds thinking, it's finished when he came in. It's on now, we got it. But he knew what the battle was that he was about to endure. It was not a taking up of arms because he was God, but it was an offering of himself for the people. Yes, the crowds embraced him. They celebrated him. So much again, they stirred up the city and everyone celebrates. And even we celebrate in the memory of this amazing event that after all this time, Jesus has come and he has entered the city, and life for everyone on the face of the earth will never be the same. The king came, the scripture said, riding on a donkey, and they put their cloaks 
on the donkey and literally took them off and put them on the ground so his feet and the donkey's feet would not touch ground. And they laid palms before him that he could ride in on this mat of covering. Would we know that he would, as we offered our cloaks and offered coverings, that he would become our covering. triumph of Jesus entering Jerusalem was a triumph that the world waited for. It was a victory and a celebration that all everything had come together to this moment. That God was alive and well. God saw the hurt and the harm. God saw the suffering of God's people. God saw the moaning of the earth. God saw the need of children. God saw the need of the hungry. God saw people who were lonely. God saw all of these things. And in Christ, God entered in to bring newness and hope. And so the celebration is a celebration of hope, a celebration of power, a celebration of togetherness and a celebration of being seen. God saw them. And even in that day, because there's no time with the fullness of God, God saw you and sees you, and God sees me. And the triumph continues, because it wasn't a victory that was about to happen, but it already happened. He was the king, and the king took responsibility for his people. He took responsibility for us. And it was the dawning of a day that would never be the same for you and for me and for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hosanna in the highest. He is come. Blessed is he who came and who continues to come and meet us. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. May you and I be blessed as we explore the word and understand more and more the meaning of who he is. He's our Jesus, our King, our living Lord. God bless you. Keith, i turn it back over to you. Thank you, Pastor Angel. And so let's... Uh, close out and respond to this powerful word of God's victory, motivated by God's incredible love to hear and think about all that Jesus went through um, simply because uh, he loved us, simply because God's desire for us uh, is powerful and moving. So we want to respond uh, just with this song, uh, Reckless Love.
Angel was talking so much about uh, victory in her message today and the victory that we have. So I wanted to end us with uh, a song that comes out of the uh, Black Church tradition. You might have your lyrics there, but uh, even if you don't, it's really easy. But let, uh, let's go out today, church, just on a note of victory, of celebrating the victory that we have in Jesus. So I'll need you to clap on uh, a two, four beat, so clap with me. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind. Victory today is mine. Come on, church, sing with me. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind. Victory today is mine. This is this church. I woke up this morning and I didn't have no doubt. I knew that the Lord would bring me out. And I fell on my knees and God help me please and I got up screaming and shouting the victory. So I sing the victory is mine. The victory is mine. The victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind. Victory today is mine. Let's sing love. Love is mine. Love is mine. Love today is mine. Yeah. I told Satan to get thee behind. Love today is mine. Peace is mine, peace is mine, peace is mine, peace today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind, peace today is mine, and we've got joy, joy is mine. Joy is mine. Joy today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind. Joy today is mine. Let me tell you one more time, church. I woke up this morning and I didn't have no doubt. And I knew that the Lord would bring me out. So I fell on my knees and God help me please. And I got up screaming and shouting the victory. Victory is, victory is mine. Victory is mine. 
Victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind. Victory today is mine. One more time I'm singing. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Victory today is mine. Amen. Go in victory, Mosaic. Love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Pastor, so much. Um, appreciate that. I appreciate the family and seeing you guys singing and clapping uh, and drinking your coffee. It's been good. Uh, today. Remember that God sees you. When people ask, who is he? It's okay to say he's my Jesus. He's our Jesus who came. I want to make a couple of quick announcements. Um, just simply, uh, please continue to give your tithes and offerings. Uh, the council and I have worked really hard to reduce um, our overhead, so we are prepared. If things uh, our staying in place becomes a shelter in place or anything else that we can be there for, for one another and make sure everyone is eating and provided for. And so we've reduced so much. And we've had um, some other people ask us within the congregation uh, if there's a special fund that they can give to for those who are in need. And we want you to know that, yes, you can give a special offering and it will uh, be placed in our Justice and Compassion Fund. So in addition to your tithes and offering, if you want to give more, uh, some folks have talked about that, uh, that money that's coming in from the government and that while they still have their jobs, they have no need of that and they want to give it to people who will act, would actually need it. We want to place it in a justice and compassion fund so we can be there. And listen, we want uh, people, we want uh, family to be honest with each other. You know, we've lived in a time where we want to be self-sufficient and we I want to take care of ourselves, but this situation is unlike any other. And where there is need, where you've been a person who's always been able to work and you find yourself without a job, that the governmental resources are taking a long time to come in, I want you to call me. I want to know so we can help take care of you. You are a part of us, and none of the family Mosaic is going to suffer, and those who are extended family, we don't want you to suffer. And try to figure out a day, one day, how you're going to eat. You need to know that you will eat. We will give up our resources to take care of one another. So that's it. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Um, stay safe. Um, stay home because we need to do that to take care of each other. Stay strong. And let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've made, unlike any other, that you've called us and equipped us to be your children, servants in the midst of it. Give us your wisdom and revelation on how we can serve each other in our community, that we can testify that you are our Jesus and the triumph that was accomplished in Jerusalem continues today. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Bye-bye.